Good afternoon. Welcome to the weekly livestock market update. I'm Brownfield Livestock Market Reporter Megan Grebner. With us, as always, to talk all things markets, University of Missouri, Scott Brown. Good afternoon, Scott. Good afternoon, Megan. As we get things started today, plenty to talk about, especially with uh, that updated supply and demand report and consumer sentiment. But let's recap what happened this week in the markets. Yeah, it's nice to actually, uh, by and large, talk about some positive moves in markets this week. If we start on the cattle side, uh, live cash cattle uh, up more than $11 this week. Those feeder cattle markets were anywhere from steady to $4 higher this week. On the futures side, the June live cattle futures contract closed up $1.80, uh, while on the feeder cattle side, that August feeder cattle contract closed down $6.20. Choice box beef prices uh, for a weekly average up $18 this week on strength across the board. Uh, on the pork side, cash barrel gut prices were basically unchanged this week. Uh, that June lean hog futures contract was down nearly $3.60. Uh, the pork cutout value rose slightly up uh, not quite $3 this week, uh, increasing despite what were lower uh, ham and belly prices for the week. I think one of the things we have to talk about as we get underway today, uh, that choice box beef price, uh, we still ended on a positive note and we've seen record high prices, but we've also this week seen record declines. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, you know, what goes up must come down, I guess, is the way to talk about it today. Uh, but, but, but maybe a little more of the economist in me likes to remind us that uh, cattle slaughter uh, continued to go up this week. It looks like we're going to be right at about 499,000 head of cattle slaughtered this week, uh, up 10% from where we were a week ago. Um, so as tight as those beef supply channels we're getting, I, I believe we're slowly beginning to catch up uh, on that front. And that's taking a little bit of the, the wind out of uh, that choice box beef price. And nothing like higher prices to ration uh, what was uh, lower supplies of, of beef on the market. So I think that's had a lot to do with it. And we might look ahead into next week and still find some continued pressure on that box beef price. And from a cattle price standpoint, I hope that doesn't uh, take too much of the shine off of some higher prices that we've seen this week. That was my next question, is we've seen a little bit of positive movement this week on, on the, the cash prices. Do we get a little worried that uh, as go the, the box beef prices, it may potentially drag down those other prices as well? Yeah, I, I think there's certainly some potential, Megan, for that to happen. And, and you know, this is me coming back to remind folks that there's still downside risk in this market. Uh, as, as much as it's nice that we're up this week, um, I, I like to remind us that it's time for producers to think about the, the opportunity to let somebody else have the risk. Um, you know, we probably haven't had many price risk management opportunities recently. If, if prices were to go up again uh, next week or the next couple of weeks, I hope folks will understand there's still downside risk here. And, and uh, uh, so, so let's hope we get some uh, further increases and we get some of those opportunities maybe for folks to, to do risk management that they haven't had the opportunity to do. Uh, you mentioned cattle slaughter up this week. Hog slaughter is also up this week. Are we starting to slowly eke back close, obviously not close yet to those pre-COVID-19 levels, but at least starting to work our way toward them? Yeah, for sure. You know, so it's interesting. I, I think if you polled everyone even a week ago, 
everyone would have said it's going to take us a long time to get back. And, and you're correct, we're not back. But if we look at hogs, 2.1 million head of hogs to be slaughtered this week, um, that, that's an 18.5% increase over a week ago. So some nice increases. That's 10% below where we were a year ago at this time. So we're not back uh, by, by any stretch. But we're getting a lot closer on the hog side now. So the question becomes how to work through the backlog. Uh, we, we might be getting a lot closer to a, a break-even situation. I won't say we're quite there yet, but we're getting a lot closer. Um, and, and so then what do we do uh, to, to, get, to work through the backlog? Uh, I, I hope that we can continue uh, the increases that we've seen of late. And, and when we talk about this next week, we've bounced up yet again. Um, and, and maybe we're beyond the worst of the plant shutdown, slowdown situations that we've seen. And, and we're seeing those processors uh, able to gear back up. Can we work through the backlog on, uh, let's take each species. I mean, I, I would assume it's going to be a little bit easier to do it on the beef side of things, but there's, uh, there's a, a pretty big disruption in knowing how tight uh, that hog uh, supply chain is. Can we get through it? I wish I had the right answer. So I think it's hard, uh, no, number one. I think we're finding ourselves uh, in some places in the country euthanizing hogs. I think we've learned that's not uh, a very easy task to get accomplished in great numbers. Um, and, and so I think we're gonna try to minimize what we do there. I'm, I'm not certain that we're done yet. Uh, I think it takes on the hog side a long time. Uh, to get through the backlog. Cattle, you know, so it's interesting when you look at cattle slaughter this week, we're still down almost 25% relative to where we were a year ago at this time. So although we've been increasing cattle slaughter, we still have a ways to go. Um, I, I think we can work through that backlog. I do think it takes maybe a little longer, especially uh, if, if we're slower on the cattle side to get recovered the rest of the way in, in terms of some of these weekly runs that we've seen. So uh, I, I don't, think we're going to find ourselves uh, euthanizing cattle, but I think we're going to find ourselves uh, slaughtering some pretty heavyweight cattle for the foreseeable future uh, as we continue to have to work through some backlog there. It's a nice transition into uh, this week's supply and demand update from the USDA, especially as we take a look at uh, production estimates uh, for beef, pork, and chicken for the rest of 2020. Yeah, so uh, USDA gave us some uh, pretty large changes uh, for 2020 production this time. If you look at uh, beef, pork, and chicken production for, for 2020, uh, USDA is actually lowered by 4.65 billion pounds, the amount of production. So uh, really across the board. So beef down 1.7, uh, pork down 1.6, uh, chicken down nearly 1.4. So, so they've taken all of them down. I'm, I'm uh, I, I'm not so sure we get that kind of production cut at the end of the day. Um, I, I might talk about we're going to shift out of the second quarter into later in the year, some of the slaughter that's occurring. Um, and, and, but, but I'm not sure the annual number changes all that much. For me, it's, it's interesting with that kind of production cut, which ultimately starts to cut at, at consumption in this country, um, that prices also were lowered by USDA. Uh, fed cattle down uh, 
down nearly $7 from the April to May WASD. Uh, we did see an increase in, in uh, barrel and gill prices in the WASD report up $3, uh, chicken down $260. You know, normally we would expect uh, with, with less supplies, maybe some increase in those prices. T to me, this all points to just the uncertainty that exists here. Um, I, I think we can be a little more optimistic about slaughter this week because we've seen less slowdowns. A, a re-break in COVID cases around those plants and you slow them down or, or run them at uh, reduced speed again, then, then I think it's hard to become so positive about getting back on track. So there is uncertainty, but this, this is an interesting scenario to, to look through that USDA has put together. Again, I don't expect quite as big a production cut as what's being shown here for 2020, unless we get into some worse COVID situation as we get later in the year. And, and if we get that kind of production cut, I'd expect higher prices. Um, you know, we've seen some markets that are starting to move uh, positively. I, I, for a minute, go over and look at Dairy prices. I don't know where cheese prices went today, but but I saw yesterday we were at a buck sixty. That's sixty cents higher than where we were uh, three or four weeks ago. So all of these ag markets are trying to find some new equilibrium, and it's tough in all of this COVID uncertainty. Do we also worry if there is production cuts like that, and we see prices go? up what happens if the big picture economy doesn't recover quickly yeah so I th so i think the general economy picture is the the one that we ought to be paying care careful attention to and and for those that have listened to us they've probably heard scott be more optimistic later in the year and, and i kind of have had that discussion of a b-shaped recovery where the general economy picks back up fairly quickly. I'm not sure we've seen any of that happen yet. Doesn't mean it won't happen. I think we've been slow to open and there's been a lot of concern among some segments of the population about getting back out and circulating too quickly. I'm curious if we continue to see this reopening for the next three or four weeks and we don't have a severe uptick, I, and I don't know how to define severe uptick, by the way, people seem to have different ideas about that, but, but if we don't have a severe uptick, and does that get more people willing to, to get out, and does that stimulate the economy? But if it doesn't, and we have higher meat prices and lower incomes, uh, that's, that's not a great scenario for us to talk about as we go through the latter part of, of this year. Retail prices came out this week as well, Scott, as we take a look at those. Um, some interesting numbers as you get into those April figures. Yeah, so there certainly we made, made some national news uh, with, with the consumer price index information out this week. So uh, the annual CPI, or sorry, the April CPI uh, for food at home uh, was up 2.7% relative to March, largest increase we've seen in a number of years. I think sometimes people forget we have not had any food inflation in this country for a long time. So yes, 2.7% is a large monthly increase, uh, but it's, it's not like we're at record food prices across the board yet. I'll, I'll wait and see as May comes along and so forth. I know we're going to get more increases. Um, meat certainly led the way at 4.5%. Um, 
you know, you can certainly see some of the stories that are out there about very, very high uh, things like ground beef prices. Uh, I, I remind you the, the ground beef price reported for April uh, was 4.4% higher um, according to the consumer price index. If you look at overall choice uh, beef uh, retail price up 6.6, pork only up 1.2, uh, chicken up 5.3. Now again, that's April uh, relative to March. Um, and, and so uh, again, I think we'll see some more increases when we look at May just because of how tight supplies were. But um, I, I don't want to overplay that story yet. I, I'm going to be curious to watch to see if we get some uh, relief in prices as things like box, box beef move lower. Uh, and, and maybe we get a, a pork cut out value also moving lower as we look ahead as well. Scott, let's talk consumer sentiment. Um, it's nice to see a, a little bit of an increase as uh, we get into May. Yeah, you look at the May uh, overall index up 2.6% relative to April. Um, I, I think a lot of folks are are beginning to see some of those uh, stimulus paychecks making their way uh, into their bank account. Uh, that, that was helpful. The current economic conditions actually increased almost 12% month over month. So some, some good news there. Um, yeah, let's not lose sight of the fact that when you look at the overall index, uh, it's down 26% relative to where we were a year ago. So uh, a move in the right direction. Uh, we, we have a long ways to go. Uh, I, I think this goes back to the discussion about income levels and so forth. I hope we continue to chip away at that 26% year-over-year year decline. And by the time we get in the last quarter, uh, we can talk about something that's a lot closer to 10% below year-ago levels. And, and I'll be much more excited, I think, about what we can say for farm prices, et cetera, uh, as, as we finish 2020. It will also be nice to not have our discussions driven by COVID-19 <laughs> and be able to talk about it, something a little bit else every once in a while. <laughs> You know, Megan, I think if we look back, sometimes you and I would have said we're talking about the same thing week after week after week, and it wasn't, markets weren't changing very much. I don't think either one of us wanted COVID-19 to be what caused us to have a lot of things to talk about that changed a whole lot. Uh, so I will be happy to be back, hopefully at some point, to where we can uh, have a little less volatility in these markets and, and maybe something more positive to talk about as well. That is an understatement. Uh, one other quick thing I want to bring up just quickly. Uh, we've seen conversations come back up again about mandatory country of origin labeling. Um, when we take a look at that, uh, is there a scenario? I mean, we, we had it before. It was uh, revoked because of the World Trade Organization, right? And, and sanctions and deemed, I can't even remember the right word. It's been a couple of years. But um, when we look at this this conversation resurfacing, is there a way to have a country of origin labeling in the United States that doesn't open us up to a whole host of issues with some of our trading partners? So you're correct. We have seen a lot more MCOOL discussion of late. Uh, I, I, I think it, it is going to be difficult to end up with some type of mandatory country of origin labeling that is not uh, eventually challenged in, in the WTO framework. Um, I, I think a number of countries will be ready for that. I, I suppose we could decide it doesn't matter. Uh, 
and, and move forward. Uh, at the same time, I, I do think that growth in beef demand is going to be occurring outside the United States. So we have to figure out how to, to participate in these global markets in a way where it's, it's give and take. And, and some will say it's been all taken and, and sorry, I'll give and we, we haven't gotten anything. I, I, I just remind us that that the global economy matters still to us, even though we've been through all this COVID-19 right now, if we get beyond that and we're back to global income growth happening around the rest of the world, we need those market, export markets available to us. So we're gonna have to tread carefully as we move forward uh, in, in that discussion. I understand why some are interested in uh, mandatory country avoids and labeling. I, I do think we have to continue to make sure that consumers in this country are willing to pay uh, a, a premium in, in some ways uh, for, for that kind of labeling to occur. That's gonna be really important to how MCOOL plays out in, in the industry long-term. All right, Scott, I think that's it for us this week. No more COVID questions. I promise I won't throw any other curveballs at you either. <laughs> very, very good. <laughs> All right, as we look ahead to next week, uh, a big week for reports. That's right. So we'll get cold stores next week. It's going to be curious to see what uh, what we see available in, in freezers on the meat side. We get livestock slaughter, and then we finish the week with cattle on feed, and uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, what, what April placements look like. All right, Scott, have a great weekend. We will talk to you next Friday. Yeah, you do the same, Megan. To have our weekly livestock market update delivered to your email box every Saturday morning, visit our website, brownfieldagnews.com. You can submit questions and comments there as well. Uh, we've been having some conversations about the impact of COVID-19 on the ag industry. We've talked pork, uh, grains, and ethanol, and we've also talked beef a couple of times. We'll talk dairy next week. Uh, you can check those out on our website as well. And for market updates twice daily, make sure to watch John Perkins' Market Minute. Have a great weekend. I'm Megan Grebner for Brownfield.